weeks ago, I told you a story about my uh, coaching career when it comes to soccer. And then a couple weeks ago, I told the story of my daughter in playing uh, soccer. So I wanted to finish up this series by telling you one more soccer story here to get started. And so I played soccer. I uh, started when I was 10 and played for a long, long time. And I decided I was going to choose a story from my long and illustrious career. But I only have one, and I've already told it of anything that was significant. So I decided this morning instead, I'm going to tell you a story of how my career actually ended. I played soccer actually until I was uh, in South Bend up until we moved to Michigan here. And I stopped playing. I had been on a team there, and we played every week and had a great time with that. And when I got up here, I just didn't know anybody and just didn't know where I was going to play. And so decided to, to put soccer aside and I discovered I just really missed it and was like, I'm going to get back into this. So I ran myself, got running a little bit, got myself into shape, and signed up in a league up in Grand Blank. And started playing again, and I was feeling pretty good. I was like the patriarch of the team, you know, who's the old guy out there? But uh, I was having a great time, and I was getting better, and it was coming back. And we were playing one night, and I was playing in the back, and so I was playing on defense. And the ball came down the field. And I was was stepping up to to, uh, to to contain there, and they they played the ball in that direction, and rather than for some reason, rather than stepping on this foot to move that way, I stepped and put all my weight on this foot. Well, my toes went that way, and my foot went that way, and my ankle went that way, and my shin went that way, but that's where it stopped, because everything else went this way, and I like annihilated my knee, and it was really. You know, if you're going to get injured, do it like in some glamorous, like, game-saving play. There was nobody anywhere near me on the floor, and I just I just collapsed in a heap. And I mean, I was in unbelievable pain, and I had just ripped my knee to pieces there. And I'm lying on the floor there, writhing in pain, and the ref walks over to me and says this, Do you think you could get off the field? We need to keep the game going. And I was lying on the field helpless, but I wasn't lying on the field hopeless. And sometimes we confuse those two ideas. Because at that moment I was in excruciating pain, but I was not lying there thinking, you know, I'll probably never walk again. And if I can't walk again, I'll probably lose my job, so I probably can't work again, and then we're going to be poor, and then my wife and kids, they're going to give up on me, and they're going to leave me, and I'm going to be homeless, and I'm going to live under a bridge. I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking, this ref's a jerk. i got to be honest, okay? But I wasn't hopeless. I was just helpless at that time. The problem is we reverse it in a different way, and sometimes we confuse hopeless and helpless, but we do it in the exact opposite where we take our hopeless and we make ourselves helpless. But we have lots of company because we all feel hopeless at times, don't we? And maybe you came in this morning and you're feeling hopeless, and I don't know what the issue is. Maybe it's your job situation and you just don't see this ever working out. Or maybe it's a relationship that you're in and you're trying like your best and it doesn't seem to be changing and you feel hopeless about that. Or maybe it's somebody difficult that you work with or that you work for. Or maybe there's a test or a certification or some class that you need to take and you just can't seem to get out of that and into the next stage. Or maybe it's something like you've been praying about it forever and nothing ever seems to happen there. 
Or maybe it's even when you think something's going to finally work out and it doesn't work out and you're just sitting there thinking, why can't I get out of this? And we find ourselves feeling hopeless. But we don't have to be helpless. But if there's ever a person who had a reason to feel hopeless, I think it was this person of Naomi. And we've been talking about her in this story in the book of Ruth. And Chris mentioned this last week, that the story is really about Naomi as much as it's about Ruth. And he's really got a point there. Think about Naomi and think about everything that's gone wrong in her story. First of all, she lost her home. She had to leave where she was in Bethlehem because of a famine. She goes over to Moab. She's lost her home. Now she's a foreigner and trying to start a new life with people that she doesn't know. But while she's there, she loses her husband. And then she loses her son. And then she loses her other son. And then she loses her livelihood and she's facing poverty. And then she loses her faith. And I get that. Because when everything starts to go wrong, we start to wonder about God too, don't we? But you know, worst of all, she lost her faith and she basically walks it in. And she throws up her hands and she gives up. And she starts back to Bethlehem. But that's Naomi. And in the exact same story, going through pretty much the exact same circumstances, there's another character, and that's the character of Ruth. And that's the person that this book is named for. She's also lost her husband. And she didn't lose her two sons because she never had sons. She was barren. And she was bearing the disgrace of that in that culture at that time, of being childless. But she also, in the process of these losses, lost her livelihood. And then she actually chooses to leave Moab and go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And so she loses what's familiar and she loses her family and she loses connections and she loses her home, but she doesn't lose her hope. And instead of walking it in like Naomi did, she just chooses to walk in it. And she serves as a model for us. To live hopeful when things look hopeless. And that's really where I want to go this morning, is how do we live hopeful when we feel hopeless? Because this story can be helpful to us. But let me just point this out before we go any further. Living hopeful doesn't have a whole lot to do with how we feel. Because we can feel hopeless, and sometimes we do, and we can still live hopeful. And so I want to say that to you this morning, to me this morning. Any place where we feel hopeless, we can still live hopeful. And how do we do that? I think Ruth gives us some ideas on this. So let's catch ourselves up on the story just a little bit because it is a continuing saga. And if you've missed out on any of this, you, you need a little bit of backstory here. But let's do this quickly. In Ruth chapter 1, we're introduced to Naomi and Ruth. And as I've mentioned already, things fall apart for them. And so Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem where she came from. Ruth, her daughter-in-law, chooses to go with her. Naomi tries to dissuade her. Ruth says, no, I'm going. And that's how we end chapter 1. With them getting back to Bethlehem just as the harvest was starting there in Bethlehem. And we talked about this idea in Ruth chapter 1 about how we need to have a stubborn faith because God doesn't always play by our rules. 
And we have this formulaic idea of faith that if I do it exactly this way, it's going to turn out exactly the way I want it to. And sometimes God doesn't do that at all in our stories. He seems to like go off the rails and go rogue. And we're like, what's happening here? And we have to stubbornly believe in God. And Naomi didn't get that. But Ruth did. Well, they get back in chapter 2 to Bethlehem. And Ruth looks around and says, well, you know, we're going to have to eat something. So she goes off to glean in the fields. And gleaning, Chris mentioned this last week, was like the welfare system. They could go out and they could follow behind the reapers. And anything that the reapers dropped, they could pick up and they could take home. And that's how the poor people in the society survive there. So she goes out and she gleans in this field. It happens to be Boaz's field, and that becomes very important to the story because Boaz looks at her, takes notice of her, and gives her special um, attention, and she gets kind of like special privileges when it comes to gleaning in the field there. But we talked about in that chapter how sometimes we go looking for hope when we ought to go looking for grace. And if we go looking for grace, say, you know what, I don't really deserve this, but maybe God will give this, that oftentimes leads us to looking for hope. And so Ruth continues to work in these fields. Chapter 3, where Chris was last week and, and spoke to us. But she continues to glean in this field, and things are going well, and Naomi's starting to take a, a, a turn for the better. And she's starting to become more hopeful, actually, in her outlook. And she actually pulls Ruth aside and says, you know what, i got a plan here. Maybe we can still, you know, I'm hopeless. My, you know, I don't have any chance here, but you still do. You're still young enough. Maybe we could get you a husband. You could be okay. And so she hatches this plan and sends Ruth off to the threshing floor where they're taking the harvested barley and the harvested wheat and, and preparing it. And, Bar- and Boaz, the field owner, is in the threshing floor that night and sleeping maybe to, to make sure that nobody's messing with the stuff. And Ruth comes in there and they have this exchange in the night, and basically, if you want to boil the whole thing down, here's what Ruth says to Boaz. Marry me. I gotta love Ruth, alright? This woman has some moxie, doesn't she? Rather than sitting around feeling sorry for herself, there's a plan, and so she steps into this. And where hopelessness tends to make us risk averse, it really should make us the opposite. Where we lean in and say, okay, I've lost this, what else? You know, let's keep going here and let's keep pushing. And so she says to Boaz, marry me. And he says, you know what? That is a great idea, except for one thing. I can't. Because there's somebody else here in society who has the right of first refusal to marry you. And this was a system that was put in place back in the times of, Mo- of Moses to take care of widows. So when a widow's husband died, if there was a brother or a close relative in the family, he was supposed to marry the widow. So if, if um, so, a situation comes up like this with, with Ruth, whoever the closest relative would be would be to marry her. Well, there's nobody in that immediate family, but there is somebody in the extended family, and that person has a right to marry Ruth before Boaz can. So when we get to chapter 4, we are actually resolving the story that's going on here in chapter 3. And Boaz is making, taking uh, steps to resolve that conflict. And so that's the first thing we see in chapter 4 is that story of Ruth and Boaz getting married resolved. We also see a bigger story getting resolved that involves Naomi. And then beyond that, we see an even bigger story that doesn't necessarily get resolved, but it gives us a hopeful 
to be continued. And so let's dive into this in Ruth chapter 4, verse number 1 here this morning. And let's look at this story and what it means to live hopeful. So Ruth chapter 1, we're going to, or excuse me, Ruth chapter 4, verse number 1. We're going to start right there in reading this morning. Ruth 4, 1, meanwhile. Really important word there as we get started. Meanwhile means what? That something else is going on at the same time. And that's a really important thing for us to remember in our stories. That while we're living over here in our lane of hopelessness or frustration or or self-pity or wherever we go with it, that in other lanes, things are still going on and things are still happening. And while you may feel stuck, there may be something moving forward. And in this story, something is still moving forward. And in your story, something is still moving forward. So what's happening here is in chapter 3, Ruth has gone home and said, yeah, I I proposed to Boaz, which is basically what it was. And Naomi says, okay, we're going to have to see what happens here. But at that same time, Boaz is like, I'm going to go make this happen. And he goes off, and this tells us the story of what Boaz does. So Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer, kinsman redeemer, maybe you've heard that phrase. This is this closest relative that could have legally married Ruth just as he comes into town. And Boaz says to him, come over here, my friend, and sit down. Let's have a talk. So he goes over and he sits down, and Boaz then took ten of the elders of the town, ten of the people that are sitting around the town center there, and said, hey, come sit with us. We're going to have a little confab here. And he says to this guardian redeemer, Naomi, he says, uh, yes, he says, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, which was Naomi's husband. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it. Here in the presence of these seated and in the presence of the elders of the people, and if you will buy it or redeem it, do so. And if not, tell me so I'll know, because you have the right of first refusal, but then I am next in line. And this guy says, well, we got a field for sale and I've got the money and it's kind of in my, you know, my opportunity here. I'm in. I'll redeem it, he said. And then Boaz brings the surprise on him. He says, oh, by the way, on the day that you buy this land from Naomi, you also get Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's women, because she comes with the property. Basically what he's saying is, the heir to this land died, but... Her widow is still alive, which means if you buy this property, you get her too. So congratulations on your engagement. And this guy says, uh, that's probably not going to work. And so he says in verse number six, uh, I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. How about if you redeem it because I can't do it? And he says, I'm out. Verse number 8, the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal, which is this weird deal that they had. We would probably shake hands on an agreement. They exchanged shoes. On your way out this morning, shaking hands is fine, okay? Just so you know. But they finalized the agreement. And Boaz announces to all the elders of the people, today you are witnesses. I bought this land from Naomi and all the property of Elimelech. Uh, Kilian and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property so that his name will not disappear from 
his family are from his hometown and your witnesses. And so, end of the story, right? Ruth, who hung in there when everything was bad, it all turns out good. She gets the guy. They get married. Everything is great. The question is, what about Naomi? Good for Ruth. How about her, though? Well, the story keeps going. So we'll read it to pick up on this. The elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, there's talking to Boaz here, may your family be like that of Paris, whom Timor bore to Judah. That's a weird prayer because Ruth has been barren up till now. And all the leaders of the community are like, this is great, Boaz, marry her, and we hope that you have great kids. And Ruth never had a kid. Interesting, isn't it? Then it gets even more interesting, though. Let me look at verse number 14. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all Israel. And who are they talking about? They are not talking about Boaz. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better than seven sons has given birth. What happened? Boaz marries Ruth and once you know it, Baron Ruth gets pregnant and has a baby. And when we pick up this story here, the women are saying to Naomi, this baby is what you were looking for. This baby is actually the evidence of the hope that you needed and could have had. Then Naomi, verse number 16, took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And I think that's weird too. Like when you have a baby, you don't like bring him to church and say, hey, what do you guys think we should name him? Obed. Okay, I'm good with that. And Obed, by the way, just means servant, which is interesting because both Ruth and Boaz were unbelievable examples of what it means to be a servant. But they named him Obed. And then catch this next line. He was the father of Jesse and he was the grandfather of David. And it goes on and it gives us this to-be-continued tagline as they go through the genealogy here at the end of the book that talks about David. And if you want to read Ruth Part 2, read the story of David. So how do we move from hopeless to hopeful using this story here? First of all, you need to sometimes just wait things out. You need to do what you can, but then you need to wait to see what happens. We talked about the meanwhile If you go back into Ruth chapter 3, verse number 18, it says this. Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled. God's providence allows for human activity, and we need to take steps. And this is what Ruth was great at. In her hopelessness of refusing to be helpless, and she would continue to go out there and do things. But at this point in the story, now that she's proposed to Boaz, Naomi says to her, what you need to do now, Ruth, is you just need to wait. And you need to see what happens. And we have this rhythm that we need to adopt in our situations where there's hopelessness, where we say, I'm going to do all that I can. And then we take a pause and we see what God does with it. 
And then maybe we take another step of all we can and we take another pause to see what God does with it. And sometimes in our hopelessness, we want to keep fighting through it. And sometimes we just need to take a breath, step back and lean into it a little bit and pause. See, we can only control one side of the story. We can only control the input. We can't control the outcome. And we have to live our lives in such a way that we're going to do all that we can on the input side and that we're going to trust God on the output side. And if we're not careful, we can keep forcing ourselves forward into those areas where we are trying to create outcomes that really need to be God's. And so we need to remind ourselves of the fact that it's God and we don't want to scheme and we don't want to force and we don't want to push. We just want to do all that we can so that God can do all that He will. So let me ask you this morning, where are you in your story? Are you in the stage of you need to do something? Or are you in the stage of you need to step back and see what God does? Take the faith step the best applies. But let me remind you of this. You need to be patient. Because even if you step back and wait, things may not happen. And God may not show up in exactly the same way that you think, or even at all. But you need to realize this. That when we are dealing with hopelessness, we can't change circumstances, but we can change our attitude. And we can change our outlook. And when we can move into that, I'll do what I can, let God do what He can, I'll do what I can, let God do it. It changes into an attitude of faith. And it changes us towards an attitude of expectations. And if we can't change our circumstances, it at least allows us to change the way that we approach things. Second thing here. We need to assume that God is up to something bigger. Through the offspring, verse number 12 of chapter 4, through the offspring that the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez to whom Tamar bore Judah. And then verse number 16, Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And we talked about this, that he was the father or the grandfather actually of David. See, this is not a story just about Ruth or just about Ruth and Boaz or just about Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. It's a story that also includes David. And it's an also a story that if you want to keep rolling right on to the New Testament, we get to another genealogy that says, and the father of Jesus. Pretty crazy, isn't it? And sometimes we forget this though. When we're going through these situations that are driving us crazy, that we kind of get very short-sighted and very narrow-minded and we are locked in on what's right here and we forget about the fact that there's something bigger going on and that God may be up to something bigger in our story. And that the pain we're going through now or the frustration that we're going through now, God can still take that and redeem us and redeem our story. And we are part of a bigger story that God is writing that doesn't just affect us. It affects people around us. And that's hard because sometimes I want it to be all about me. And sometimes I have to step back and say, you know what? What I'm dealing with here might actually be good for my kids. Or it might actually be good for somebody that I'm working with. Or it might actually be good for somebody that that uh, else in my family here. Or it may be good for my grandkids. Or it may be just good for our family legacy. But God is up to something bigger in our story. 
in our feeling hopeless or facing a hopeless situation isn't the biggest situation. We just need to hang on in there on that. So where are you on this? Are you okay with what God is doing? If it's something bigger? Or are you more about having your pain alleviated? You know, I don't know that there's a guarantee that everything will turn out right in your story, but there is a reminder in this book of Ruth that God does redeem stories. Here's a crazy thing. We call this, you know, finding hope in in the grandmother's lap. I don't know the answer to this question. I'm not a grandparent, and I'll never be a grandmother. For some of you who are, it's like the ultimate moment when you hold the grandbaby. I wonder if Naomi, at the very beginning, God could lay the whole thing out and say, hey, you're going to have to go through all of this, but at the end, you're going to get a grandbaby. If she would have said, oh, I'm in. And sometimes when we're in these hopeless situations, we need to remind ourselves of the fact that it's not over yet and God may be up to something bigger. Third thing here, don't let your past limit your future or your faith. At the very beginning of this story, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they bail. There's no food and so they run. And they could have stayed put because did you notice they came back to the same place they left and everybody there had kept eating? But she runs, she runs to a foreign country, doesn't show a whole lot of faith in God, does it? Doesn't show a whole lot of trust. And then her sons marry foreigners, so they wouldn't have even been like God worshipers. And so she's made some huge mistakes along the way, and then, you know, everybody dies, and she gives up, and she heads back, and she has her Mara moment, is what I call it. In in chapter 1, when she comes back to Bethlehem, the women of the town say, hey, Naomi's back. And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. God has been nasty to me. And she has her fit there for everybody to see. And she has her meltdown. Yeah, look at my life. It really stinks. And she goes through that situation. And how does God respond? Chapter 4, verse number 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. What? Naomi, Mara, God says, hey, he doesn't exonerate her, but he just says, you know what? The story is about grace, and it's always going to be about grace. And God still takes care of Naomi in spite of the fact that Naomi had messed up her story, in spite of her lousy attitude, in spite of the fact that she had given up. And at the end of the book, we're not talking about Ruth, we're talking about Naomi. Because God is gracious. And sometimes we look at our situation and say, well, it's hopeless because I did this. And God's like, but who am I? You don't think I'm big enough to overcome that? Well, I messed it up. Yeah, I get that. But God still redeems stories. It's this grace idea. Even sometimes when we've created the mess, grace is still bigger and we need to let go of that past and we need to stop using it as an excuse for ourselves and for God because He redeems stories. Sometimes we're like, you know what, I don't really, I'm not qualified for grace. Well, that's the whole point. If you're qualified, you don't get it. It's only the disqualified who get it. And in your story, if you're sitting in this room saying, I don't have this, I don't even deserve anything. Get in line. 
You can start with Naomi. But don't let your past put a limit to your future because God doesn't. Got to finish up here this morning. Leverage the relationships that God puts in your stories. I love this phrase. Well, let's start in verse number, we're reading in verse number 14, chapter 4. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. The women that God put in Naomi's life, they, they never called her Mara. She came back to call me Mara, they called her Naomi. They never gave up on her. And I love how this ends at the end here in verse number 14. For your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you, is better to you than seven sons. Hey, Naomi, take a look at the people God's put in your life. Take a look at the people God's put in your story and lean into those people. And if you're feeling hopeless this morning, look around me. There's a good chance that God's got somebody who will be there in your story for you. And if you don't recognize them or see them, ask God to show you who they are and lean into that. And then finally, we come around to where we started here. Refuse to live helplessly. Hopeless and helpless are not the same thing. Hopeless is how we feel. Helpless is how we act or don't act. So if we're going to stop being helpless and start living hopeful, we need to take some risk. We need to take some action in our story. We need to refuse to be paralyzed and shut down and knocked out. So take some risk. Go back to Bethlehem. Find a field to glean in. Ask somebody to marry you. Have a baby. And three cheers for all of the new babies in the nursery. We have a population explosion in that hallway. It's awesome, isn't it? My wife and I will not be contributing either. Okay. But you know, you could pretty much always do something. So do it. And maybe though, you need to pause and say, okay, I'll let God. But don't become paralyzed by your situation. That's Naomi. We need to be Ruth and say, well, if there's a field, I could go glean there. Oh, there's a guy there, I could go ask him to marry me. And we need to think that way. But remember this too. You can lose just about everything, but there's one thing that can't be taken away from you. And that's your ability to choose. One of the greatest gifts that God gave man when he created man was the idea that we call free will, and we mess it up because we choose what we shouldn't choose. But that was actually a gift from God to us that we can actually choose. And regardless of what your situation is here this morning, you still have the potential to choose. And that gift of choice is still yours. Don't let go of it. In your moment, in your hopelessness, you can still choose to live a different way. When we face a hopeless situation, a lot of us, we tend to look for a resolution. We want it to be fixed. We want it to be resolved. But sometimes the resolve is actually what we need to do. We need to be resolved in moving forward. We need to be resolved that we won't live helplessly, but that we will live hopefully. And so... As we come to the end of the story here, it's still going on. Isn't that crazy? Because one of those great-grandsons is still who we worship here today, Jesus Christ. But in this story of hopelessness, in this field of hopelessness, there's so much hope. But it's not just for Ruth and it's not just for Naomi. It's also for us today. So let's lead into it.